This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Stephen Jarvis and Friends podcast, part of the Deluxe Edition Network. We have surpassed 1,000 downloads all time on the podcast. As I said, we may do a Q&A. We may not. I'm going to live stream something. I might just have guests come on and then do the Q&A, or we might come up with something on the spot. Who knows? But thank you so very much. You, the loyal listeners, supporters, have made this podcast what it is today. Been doing this for four years, but if you go on Buzzsprout, it'll say I've been that the podcast is one year old. Don't listen to that. It's one year old on Buzzsprout, but I've been doing this for four different names, like the Stephen Jarvis reviews, until I settled with Stephen Jarvis and Friends podcast. But go over to the duck. DeluxeEditionNetwork.com, where you will find the May podcasts of the month, which are The Real Drunks and Horsing Around. Sorry about that. It's been a while. So excited to have another milestone pass, thanks to the fans and loyal supporters. And also, if you're looking for other podcasts on the network, Go to the deluxeeditionnetwork.com where you'll find many great podcasts done by many great people. Today, we are talking about The Blob, the 1958 version to be exact, to be precise about it, which starred Steve McQueen in his first feature film leading role and Annette Corsant and co-stars Earl Rowe and Olin Howland. It was distributed by Paramount Pictures as a double feature with I Married a Monster from Outer Space. The film concerns a a, a carnivorous alien that crashes to Earth from outer space inside a meteorite. Landing Landing near the small communities of Phoenixville and Downington, Pennsylvania, it envelops living beings growing larger, becoming redder in color, and more aggressive, eventually becoming larger than a building. So the plot of this is, in a small Pennsylvania town, teenager Steve Andrews and his girlfriend Jane Martin kiss at a lover's lane when they see a meteorite crash beyond the next hill. Steve goes looking for it, but Barney, an old man living nearby, finds it first. When he pokes the meteorite with a stick, it breaks open, and a small jelly-like glob inside attaches itself to his hand. In pain and unable to scrape or shake it loose, Barney runs onto the road where he is nearly struck by Steve's car. Steve and Jane took him to Dr. Take him to Dr. Hallen. Dr. Hallen gives the guy or Barney as he's called, um, anesthetic and sends Steve and Jane back to locate the impact site and gather information. Helen decides he must amputate the man's arm since it is being pretty much engulfed by the blob. 
Before he can, the blob completely absorbs Barney, then Holleran's nurse Kate, and finally the doctor himself. Growing redder and larger with each victim, Steve and Jane return in time for Steve to witness the doctor trying to escape through the window with the blob covering him. They go to the police station and return with Lieutenant Dave Barton and Sergeant Jane Burt, Jim Burt, but they find no sign of the blob or its victims. The skeptical Burt dismisses Steve's story as a prank. Steve and Jane are taken home by their parents, but later they sneak out. Got to make sure that the camera is centered. Sorry about that. The blob absorbs a mechanic at a repair shop. During a midnight screening of Daughter of Horror at the Colonial Theater, Steve recruits Tony and his friends to warn people about the blob. When Steve notices that his father's grocery store is unlocked, he and Jane go inside to investigate. The janitor is nowhere to be seen. The couple is quickly cornered by the blob and they seek refuge in the walk-in freezer. The blob oozes in under the door but quickly retreats. Steve and Jane gather their friends and set off the town's fire and air raid alarms. The responding townspeople and police still refuse to believe them. The blob enters the Colonial Theater and envelops the projectionist, then oozes into the auditorium. Steve is finally vindicated when screaming people flee the theater in panic. Steve and Jane... Steve, Jane, and her brother Danny are trapped in a diner along with the owner and a waitress as the blob, now enormous from the people it has consumed, engulfs the diner. Dave taps into the theater into the diner's telephone with his police radio and warns those in the diner to take shelter in the cellar before the police begin bring down a live power line onto the blob. Dave and Bert plan to electrocute the blob by feeding an overhead by feeding it an overhead high voltage power line. It discharges a massive electrical current into the blob, which is unaffected, but the diner underneath it is set ablaze. When the diner owner uses a carbon dioxide extinguisher on the approaching fire inside, Steve notices the blob, that the blob recoils. Steve remembers it also retreated from the freezer and realizes it cannot tolerate cold temperatures. Shouting in hopes of being picked up on the open phone line, Steve tells Dave about the blob's vulnerable vulnerability to cold. The firemen have a limited supply of CO2 fire extinguishers. Jane's father, high school Principal Henry Martin leads Steve's friends to break into the school to retrieve its extinguishers. When they return, a brigade of fire extinguisher armed students, firemen, and police drive into the drive the blob away from the diner, freeing the five trapped inside and surround and freeze the creature. Dave requests authorities send an Air Force high lift cargo air craft to transport the frozen blob to the arctic dave realizes that the cold will stop the blob but not kill it as long as the arctic stays cold parachutes bearing the blob on a pallet lower it onto an arctic ice field with the superimposed words the blob the end morphing into a question mark so this movie was pretty much one of the uh as you would say monster films back in the day or creature features movies um and also this was it's funny because the triv or an inside fact about this movie is that steve mcqueen did not think this movie was going to make much money so he asked for cash in hand and had he waited to see how big of a phenomenon this movie was going to become he would have probably been paid more and probably gotten royalties and all that stuff but he didn't 
know that the movie was going to be this big. Um, the production on it, you know, it's black and white. Um, and not a lot of it was, again, like we said, it's a creature feature movie. Um, Steve McQueen was 28 years old at the time. He received $3,000 for a starring role. He turned down an offer for a smaller upfront fee in return for a 10% share of profit, thinking that the film would never make money. He needed his signing fee immediately to pay for food rent. However, the blob ended up a hit, grossing $4 million at the box office. The film's tongue-in-cheek title song, The Blob, was written by Burt Backrack and Mark Mac David. It became a nationwide hit in the U.S., peaking at 30, number 33 on the Billboard chart on November 9, 1958. It was recorded by a studio group who adopted the name The Five Blobs. The vocals are all sung by singer Bernie Nee, overdubbing himself. It's commonly misbelieved that Backrack wrote the song with his famous songwriting partner, Hal David, but David's brother, Mac, wrote the lyrics. The Blob's background score was by Ralph Carmichael, who, like Yeworth, had worked on television specials for the Billy Graham Evangelists Association. It was supervised by the director's wife, Jean Yeworth. It was also it was one of only a few films film scores Carmichael wrote. He composed different opening music for the film, a piece called Violence, and intended to start the film on a serious, frightening note. However, the director chose to replace it with the novelty song, The Blob, to encourage audiences to view it as campy campy fun. And the song has contributed to the film's enduring popularity. The original score and title song were both included on the soundtrack album, which was re-released in 2008 on the monstrous movie music soundtrack label. Release. Paramount acquired the blob for three hundred thousand from Jack Harris and spent another three hundred thousand promoting it. According to Tim Dirks, it was one of a wave of cheap teen movies for the drive-in market exploitative cheap fare created especially for young people in a newly established teen slash drive-in genre. Harris eventually bought the rights back from Paramount and allied artists. Pictures Corporation reissued it as a double feature with his and Yawur's Dinosaurs in 1964. Um, reception. When the blob premiered as the B film on a double feature with I Married a Monster from Our Space, it was quickly moved up to be the main feature. Audiences liked it, but critics were not as kind. The New York Times highlighted some of its problems and identified some of the positives. Although Steve McQueen's debut debut was not one of them, on director Irvin Yeaworth's work, they wrote, Unfortunately, his picture talks itself to death. Even with the blob nibbling away at everybody in sight and most of his tricks trick effects under the direction of Irvin S. Yeaworth Jr. look pretty phony. On the credit side, the camera very snugly frames the small town background, a store, a church spire, several homes, and a theater. The color is quite good. The blob rolls around in at least a dozen horrible-looking flavors, including raspberry. The acting is pretty terrible itself. There is not a single becomingly familiar face in the cast headed by young Stephen McQueen and Annette Corsett. 
Variety had a similar reaction, seeing McQueen as the star, gamingly giving the old college try, but that the star performance, however, are the deluxe color camera work of Thomas Spaulding and Barton Salone's special effects. Um, this movie would later have a sequel called Beware the Blob, which was directed by Larry Hagman, who was from Dal- the TV show Dallas. Um, and it was originally released from as Son of the Blob, um, used under, and it was had the tagline, the movie that JR shot, which was a pro, a play on who shot JR from the t- original television series Dallas. Um, a remake would later be made in the 80s. Stit with it was kind of more horror, I would say, not so much campy. Um, and then now, supposedly, there was supposed to be a remake, another remake where Rob Zombie was working on, but he later left. Um, then Simon West was attached, um, as director in 2015. But, you know, um, there hasn't been any updates as of 2023. So hopefully it comes out, you know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, it's, it kind of sucks, but you know what? It is what it is. I mean, most of those movies back in those days weren't supposed to be really good. But they turned out really fine. I mean, look at Godzilla. Look at a lot of other movies that Godzilla and The Blob and King Kong and all those other monster movies would later have. I mean, would we have Cloverfield without The Blob or Godzilla? Would we have The Thing without that? Maybe not. Maybe we do. Maybe you're not. Um, But you know what? That's the end of the episode. I'm sorry if I sounded kind of all over the place today. I'm kind of excited. I'm really excited that we hit our goal. But at the same time, it's like nervous. Um, So I'm going to plan the live stream probably next month, I would say. Um, because we're still in the process of moving. Um, Friday, I'll be on Kyle Flett's show, which is Flett's movie and pop culture 13. I can't remember what we're talking about, but I'll remember it on Thursday, which Thursday I'll be filming two episodes, one to release on Saturday because we officially move on Saturday, weather permitting. Hopefully it's still a great day that day. Um, and then Tuesday, Next Tuesday, I'll be getting internet at the new place hooked up. So you'll be able to hear me next Tuesday as well. Um, But yeah, if you haven't checked out the song, Beware the Blob. Oh my God, it is so campy. It it really is. It's like, beware of the blob. It creeps and creeps all along the floor. It's it's really weird. But I mean, hey, it's still a good movie. It's catchy or good song. It's catchy. Um, so yeah, please go over to the deluxe edition network.com where you will find the May podcast of the month 
which are person around and the real drunks. They're great people. They love what they're doing. I think horse around only horsing around only does one a month. Who knows? Maybe I'm wrong on that, but still worth a watch. Um, also go check out talk the talking shit show with Brian and Mark Benset jr. Great group of people over at that podcast or show. I, I, I don't know if they call it a consider it a podcast or a show, but it's still great. Um, Again, pop, uh, Flets, Movies, and Pop Culture 13. Kyle's an amazing person. You can even check out my bosses, who are Casey and Ray, who do their own podcast, which is the Deluxe Edition podcast. Um, and you can also check other podcasts out at the deluxeeditionnetwork.com. Thank you so very much. I love all the support. I want to thank my team. I want to thank the network. But most importantly, I want to thank you, the fans. You, the fans, have made this so enjoyable. So now we're going to another milestone. Hopefully we can achieve it pretty soon. But if we don't, I'll keep trying because that's all I got to do. I got to keep trying and hopefully you guys like what I put out. Thank you so very much. I'll see you on Thursday. I love y'all. And this was another episode of the Stephen Jarvis and Friends podcast. This podcast is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find other great shows on the network, head over to deluxeeditionnetwork.com. That's deluxeeditionnetwork.com.